Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie. Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name's Roger Christie, founder of digital reputation advisory firm, Propel. And today we're discussing an incredibly important question. How can leaders stay safe online? And can I start by saying, this is actually a really tr tricky topic to cover, but I made a call to try and do this in a more authentic, personal way, rather than simply sharing statistics and, and steps that leaders can take. As a man, uh, I've been shocked to learn just how many more women are targeted with abuse online. Everyone deserves the right to participate safely online. And it is a really sad reality that far more women will likely be victims in this situation. So today you'll hear firsthand experiences from women leaders, but I want to re reinforce that we all have a role to play keeping one another safe online. Now, the stories that you'll hear on this episode will or you know, may likely be upsetting, but I do think that they're important stories that need to be told. And particularly as this podcast is all about protecting and enhancing your digital reputation. And sadly, that does include some of the less pleasant stuff. So please feel free to take breaks skip through sections or reach out for support as needed if you're listening. And if you're in Australia, that includes counselling and support services like Beyond Blue, Lifeline and 1800 Respect. As you will hear, online abuse can have real impacts, especially on our mental health and wellbeing. And it's important for us to recognise this and to not be afraid to reach out for the help that we might need. There are more details and links in today's show notes online. Now, personally, I am an optimist. I know how powerful social media can be in amplifying the good in our world. I've seen it firsthand and remain committed to helping leaders and their teams harness this goodness. Used the way it was intended, nothing is more universally empowering and connecting than social media, particularly when leaders are at the helm. But I've also worked in this space long enough to know the dangers and the damages that can occur online, sadly by people who really, they just only set out to cause harm. I've seen the impacts of trolling, of threats and abuse on our clients, but honestly, nothing has impacted me as much as the experiences our guests today will share. Yes, this is a special episode. Today, I'm joined by two guests who will help us explore the idea of staying safe online and what you or your leaders, if you're a comms or HR advisor listening in, what you can do to protect yourself and those around you. I'm extremely grateful they're willing to speak and respect them greatly for their courage and honesty. So it's a huge thank you firstly to Amanda Yates, CEO at Sun Central, who is responsible for the development of Australia's largest greenfield CBD development, the 3 billion 53 hectare Maroochydore City Centre. Amanda was previously the Deputy Director General at the Department of Transport and Main Roads in Queensland, where she oversaw the state's $27 billion infrastructure program. And we're also joined by Anita Lonfont, who is the program lead for women in the spotlight at the office of the e-safety commissioner, which provides training and resources that elevate and protect the voices of all women whose work or leadership requires an online presence. Anita has decades of experience in the education and technology spaces, having worked closely with the likes of Apple, Microsoft, and Google, among others, and knows better than most, sadly, how ugly the online world can be. So Amanda, Anita, a huge thank you from me for making time today and for, sh for sharing your respective stories on this issue. Thanks, Roger. It's uh, fantastic to join you today. I'm really happy to be able to talk on this topic. It's a very important one. Yeah, me too. Great to be here. Thanks. Thank you both. And, and, and Amanda, if I can 
start our discussion with you, if that's okay. Now, I've known you for a few years now. And in fact, I often, <clears throat> I should say, I often tell others you're someone to look at in terms of industry best practice when it comes to leaders who act purposefully and, and passionately online. But if we can go back a few years, where did it all start for you? What, why did you decide to build an online presence? So I think it was, my online presence really started to be important to me and I became very purposeful about it probably right at the start of, of COVID. So it's been, you know, probably three years now that I've been much more active than historically on, on social media. And part of the reason for that was internally within my team when I was working at Transport and Main Roads and, and we had quite a few thousand people working in that team. And I used to put out little newsletters and tell little stories about, um, you know, stuff that was happening in, in my life and things that I was doing in other parts of the business. And it just seemed that people really connected with those things. And so when COVID hit, it just became an opportunity because we were all working remotely. It became an opportunity to use social media to connect not only with the team within my work context, but all of the other stakeholders and partners that we worked with. So it became important to me to share those stories. I actually, Roger, you worked closely with uh, a very, very um, significant professional in in communications that I had worked with Rebecca Boone and it was actually Rebecca who said to me do you know I think your stories have got an opportunity to connect more broadly and so I, I um, took some courage from the fact that I was working with a communication professional who who said listen I really think um, there might be something in this so we put a few of those stories out there on social media and there was one in particular where I talked about the importance of uh, my children and how early in my career I had tried to pretend that you know, that I didn't have a life outside of work and how important it was that we didn't do that. And I was just astounded at the number of people who responded to that. So, and, and men and women, and from lots and lots of different sectors, not just the construction sector that I worked in. So I think that was the start for me of a, a real period of trying to tell my story and then intermingle that with some of the really technical things that sometimes you don't get a lot of traction on. So to be able to tell my story really connected me with people. And then that meant people were starting to explore some of the other content that I was putting out there. So I think it was COVID really that started me off. And it was just that ability to connect with people in another way that became important to me. And it sounds like certainly in those early experiences, you had a really positive response. There was a um, good interest in those personal stories and that did have a flow on effect to, as you say, blending that personal and professional divide. Was that the case? And, and did that run throughout COVID? Things were all going smoothly online? Well, that very first post that, that had quite a significant number of interactions with it, they were all very, very positive. And that made me think, well, you know, maybe I will do this a little bit more regularly. So I started to look at some of the things that I had been talking about and some of the stories that I'd been telling internally. And I started to put some of those out. I must admit though, even that very first post, so that very first post was very much about my family interactions, my inter interactions with my two children. And I actually had a photo up there of myself, my husband and my two girls. And it started to get a bit nasty even on that very first post. So a few people were sort of suggesting that uh, I was, I guess, trying to compensate for, for being an absent mother. You know, there were some things in there that just started to get a bit nasty, but they, they were reasonably low level. And even in explaining this to you, I find it really interesting that I'm almost discounting the experience. Like right from the very start of actually 
getting that feedback that really was very negative and very unnecessary and very unproductive, I'd sort of discounted it away. I was sort of going, oh, okay, well, people are, have, have the right to their opinion. And, and I sort of looked at some of these comments and then a few other people would jump in on the negative comments and, and um, you know, really be in my corner. Um, and so I didn't delete them. I didn't block those people. I just sort of left them there and they did escalate a little bit, but it was actually subsequent posts that started to get um, much more nasty. So what, and, and obviously whatever you're comfortable sharing, when you say started to get more nasty, what changed? What, what sort of things started to happen? There were two things that were quite interesting. One was, and as I said, uh, the things that I post about, mostly the stories that I, I tell are about my experiences as a professional and a leader in a sector that's quite male dominated. And I try to tell really positive stories because my experiences largely have been extremely positive. I have found the workplace to be very supportive. I have found my colleagues to be very supportive. And I've had a really interesting and diverse career. And so what I have tried to do in telling those stories is, I think early in my career, if I'd had people who I could have looked to and I had felt more connection with. So there were lots of people that I looked to, but I didn't necessarily feel a connection with them. But I've had people who are in the same sector to, to me, who are quite quite junior and, and in the early parts of their career, who through the storytelling have felt comfortable to reach out. And sometimes they just reach out and it's a very brief interaction, but it's just that one thing where, you know, somebody can give you that little bit of support to, to give you the confidence to take the next step and that sort of thing. So, um, so those were the sorts of experience that I, I would talk about. And two things happened. One, as I said, was I started to get some sort of low-level commenting on my parenting. And I also started to get some private messages that ranged from, uh, you know, sort of quite leery, quite creepy. So it was, you know, the, these people who were sort of reaching out in a sexual way. Uh, and then I would also get direct messages which were just really offensive, just you know, telling me that that I had um, no right to to be doing what I was doing, and and that if somebody in my position, because what I tried to do was also sort of talk about some of the times where there was there were things that I had really struggled with in a leadership context. So people were telling me I wasn't a good leader, I shouldn't be in the position that I was in, I only had the position that I've got because I'm a woman, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So, and it's interesting that the low level stuff people felt more comfortable putting actually on the post, it was the nasty stuff that became the direct and private messages. Isn't that interesting? Because I think that that talks to a couple of realities, which is that, and, and if I speak from my own experience, if those sorts of things are going on behind the scenes, if those sorts of messages are coming through privately, you don't see them. Unless you're receiving them, you don't see them. Or unless you're talking about them you don't know they exist. And I think that's, for me, one of the greatest challenges in this idea of staying safe online is that a large percentage of the population, the online population, is simply unaware of what's going on and how damaging that can be. And I speak again as a male and, and looking at the numbers, and I know we're going to hear more from you, Anita, around um, some of the research that you've done through the eSafety Commissioner. We'll hear how much this impacts um, particularly women in our world and women leaders um, like yourself, Amanda. So I know that there is a, um, a an unfair um, weighting of and, and volume of 
criticism and abuse targeting women leaders. And I do think that because of that and because this is happening privately, um, you know, men simply aren't aware. It's a bit like the iceberg under the surface. I don't think people are aware of the magnitude of this issue. If I can ask again, you started to see this change in tone and you started to see these different messages coming through and things that you say were, you know, obviously lewd and inappropriate. How did you react? What, yeah, what did you do as a result? Well, interestingly, I think initially I tried to just ignore it. And so I thought, oh, look, you know, well, you know what your, your parents always told you, if you ignore bullies, they they go away. And so I just left it. And and then it would escalate and escalate and escalate. And the interesting thing is probably, oh, it must be about six or eight months ago now, I did put a post up and I called it out. I didn't call out specific individuals, but I called out the behaviour. And part of the reason that I had done that was because so many people had said to me, oh, we haven't seen you posting lately. We really enjoy your interactions. Uh, you know, that it gives us some different perspective. It helps us to understand as a as a major government client where your thinking is at internally. So they were actually talking about the fact that it wasn't just the storytelling that was useful. It was actually the fact that the storytelling was drawing them into the technical content that actually brought them closer to, to us as a client at the time. And so I sort of thought, well, hang on a minute. I'm actually consciously or, or subconsciously I've actually really pulled back from from social media and I have done that because it's not making me feel comfortable. So I put the post up and the interesting thing was that there were a number of people who commented on the post really supportively. So lots of people who said that they were completely unaware that this was going on. Lots of my colleagues and, and people that I knew through work context who, who were just absolutely horrified that I was experiencing this and they and they expressed that with real empathy which was lovely the interesting thing and so I felt really supportive supported the interesting thing for me though was the number of other women who direct messaged me who said they were so glad that I had put that post up because they too were experiencing similar things I think the interesting thing though is separately in a previous conversation that I'd had with Anita we sort of talked about the things you should do when you're experiencing this behaviour. And everything Anissa told me was common sense that if someone had come to me, they were the steps that I probably would have told somebody else to do. When I was in that situation myself, I didn't do any of the things that that those common sense things about, you know, keeping records and, and there was just none of that that I did. And, and so I think I really struggled myself to to know how to deal with it and I I did fall into that very typical trap of going oh this must be my fault I must have done something to to warrant people thinking that this is the sort of you know interaction that I am seeking out on on social media I genuinely was looking inwards and saying it must have, it must be me and and I think that's really um, upsetting and disappointing in the sense that. You know, it is no fault of your own. You, you, as you describe your journey, what you were doing was using a medium which is touted as being equal and accessible for anyone. And you were using that to share positive messages about leadership, um, about the things that you cared about, about the things that were important in your life. And even as you talk back to that original post, reflections on your own parenting style and, and things where you would have done things differently. There was an honesty and a vulnerability to this. And it's so disappointing then that the response you get from people who have no other agenda except to bring you and, and others down um, for whatever reason. Again, I don't want to get into the psychology of that, but um, it 
as you said, makes you question whether you should keep doing this and whether you should keep posting. And for me, that's one of the most upsetting things is that voices are quietened without any grounds for doing so and without any um, any fairness in that. So if, if I can perhaps just ask one final question around that experience, Amanda, and it is, you know, what you were saying just now about you were quieter on social media and people noticed that. You, you could have turned off social media altogether at that point and you didn't. Why is that? Why did you keep going? You know, I think I had, su- I had such an overwhelming positivity to the interactions that I had had. So this was such a small minority and I think stepping back from it for a period of time was really important. So stepping back, I, d- I don't think I could have continued to interact um, with, you know, LinkedIn in the way that I had been and and been able to sort of get my head right. So I had to step back a bit. And when I did, I sort of started to think, well, hang on a minute. What, why should it be me that has to step away from this? So, so you know, why is it that because of other people's behaviour that I have to... Um, modify my behaviour, which I think has been professional and respectful and, um, you know, my my intentions have been around lifting other people up. So why should I have to do that? And that one post that I posted where I called out in a general way the behaviour was actually really empowering for me. And it was empowering for me because I had so much support around that. And I think what's important to me, so I work in a, in a sector, in the construction sector, I'm a civil engineer. Um, female participation in civil engineering still sits at only 13%. And, and more broadly, female participation in the construction sector is, is around 5%. So I think the sort of behaviour that I was seeing online was exactly the sort of behaviour that drives people away from the sector that I, was, that I work in. And so for me, I just thought I, I cannot allow this small minority of people to drive me away from something that not only do I enjoy interacting on social media, it has broadened my professional networks. It's actually made me a better leader. It's made me have the courage to make some leadership and professional decisions that I possibly wouldn't have made. Um, It's just such a good medium for me. And I just didn't want to be driven off it because of, of a minority of people who felt that they had the right to interact in a way that was really quite appalling. Look, I I really respect your courage and the decision to call out this behaviour. I remember that post. It it was a a catalyst for me too, um, a bit of an eye-opener for me. Um, And look, unfortunately, I suppose, for every story like yours, sadly, we know that there are many others who decide that they will stay quiet or, or they will, you know, hop offline altogether and we lose that valuable contribution. And in this case, as we're talking about women who have amazing advice, experience, wisdom, encouragement, all those things that, that can be shared. And the flow on effect of this abuse is that those voices are silenced. Now, Anita, I know that this is something that, you know, this experience, sadly, is not unfamiliar um, in your line of work. Um, And I know you work with a lot of women leaders in particular. So I'd like to bring you in here, uh, given your expertise, and just to get an understanding of, um, you know, how bad is this situation? And and I think importantly, not just looking at the negatives, but what can people do about it? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Amanda, it's, it's, it's so, I'm so grateful for you to, to have you share your story. 
Um, the program that I'm in charge of, Women in the Spotlight, uh, we did some research at the end, uh, about that this time last year, um, that landed in March of this year. And that's the uh, research into the experience of women who have experienced online abuse as part of their working lives. And this, what we found was it, the WITS program came about because we were um, hearing more and more from women, particularly saying, um, look, I'm just going to turn my social media off. I'm just going to take that step back. I'm just going to, and those voices were exactly in, as you said, that those voices were being silenced. So uh, when we commissioned this research, we wanted to see um, and hear from women themselves to see what's this experience, what is this actually like? Um, initially, it was women who had a really high profile that came to us saying, uh, and we're talking about women in the media saying, you know, we've had these types of experiences and you see it online, you know, our journalists, um, politicians. Um, over the time of COVID, we found so many more women were experiencing this, women like you and I who are in positions where we need to be online for work, we want to be online for work, um, but we're, fi we're finding that um, these online trolls were uh, jumping on and uh, stopping us from having that voice. Um, the types of things that we found, the numbers that we found in this research was alarming. Um, almost one in three um, women um, who we surveyed said that they had had experienced online abuse as part of their professional lives. Um, that's huge. Um, the effects, uh, as you have detailed, Amanda, is uh, you know complex. Um, emotional and mental health harms, um, feelings of being afraid of, um, of going back out online. If this is something that happens in a, in a smaller community, uh, then it's being afraid of who might these trolls be? Might they actually be in my community? Um, so that um, having to feel like, like you're having to be hypervigilant all the time um, is, uh, is really scary uh, when you think about the the the, um, the harms to your physical well-being but then also your mental well-being um the other thing we found in our research is that um the rates of online abuse are higher for women who are younger that's that 18 to 25 year old uh, for women who have a disability or for women who identify as lgbtqi so i think it's important for us to remember that um that this is not only is this happening in our uh, online world, but it's also um, experienced differently by women with uh, specific intersectional factors. Um, it, that whole idea of the stifling of your career is something that women spoke a lot about. Um, nearly a quarter of women told us that they uh, were reluctant to move into leadership positions. Uh, it, because they feared the whole idea of, of online abuse if, if they needed to be online or needed to be in the public eye. And I think that as a, as a mother of two um, teenage girls who are looking to get into the workforce, it makes me really worried about what does this say for our leadership in, uh, you know, in our community and also the opportunities you know, that, uh, that our girls um, will take up. It's, it's a, a scary, scary space, uh, but also women told us that 
what they really wanted to, to hear are the stories of women like yourself, Amanda, who, um, who've experienced this. And they want to hear more about, well, what do we do about it? Um, but also how can we support? So that, and, and at eSafety, we call it upstander messaging, where we call it out. We often say, you know, it might not necessarily be yourself who calls it out, but it might it might um, be helpful if it's um, a digital ally. So someone that you can go to and say, look, I've received this post. What do you think? Does this sound like it, it, it could be, um, it, it feels dodgy to me. It doesn't feel right. Should I respond to this? What, what do you think? Um, similarly, if you've experienced online abuse, um, it's great to have someone come to you and say, I read that, I saw that online. Um, I'd like to, um, you know, uh, post, uh, you know, uh, that, that, I, that this is appalling behaviour. Um, we'd re I'd really like to come and, and, and do that. So I think there's a real opportunity there for all of us at, at, on a, in a brighter in a broader context in community about um, how we can support each other and what we can do to help each other in this space. And Amanda talked about a couple of those reflections that she'd had around things that you know, she may um, may have done differently this mm. time around. Uh, what are some of those, I suppose, basic steps or the practical advice you tell people when, you know, that scenario you just described before, is this or is this not appropriate, getting that second opinion, what are some of the basic steps people can and, and should take to keep themselves safe? Yeah, I think, you know, our thoughts around this has changed. You know, in the past, it's always been don't respond, don't respond, don't respond. Now we're saying, look, um, what we're hearing from, uh, particularly in our research, women have, are telling us, and anecdotally, is that that your first response, Amanda, where you said, uh, "What did I do?" And I've done this too. <laughs> this is not. Um, it's it, and gosh, I've worked in this space for such a long time. If I receive online abuse, the first thing I think of is, "Well, but I didn't even say that. What I said wasn't that controversial." And it, the, immediately, it's it's what did I do? So. The most important thing is to remember is that it's not your fault. It's never your fault. The abuse is the fault of the perpetrator who decided to engage in this behaviour. That's really hard for us um, to do. The second thing that we do is downplay it, as you said as well, Amanda. Um, we say, oh, this is, you know, it's just part of the banter of being in this industry or it's just what it's like, we, you know, it, that whole sticks and stones won't break my bones. But the, the reality is this does have a huge impact on us. So my advice is when you get that, trust your gut and when you get that feeling that actually this doesn't look right, first thing we should all do is collect the evidence know how to take a screenshot on your device. In fact, when I'm the, as a, the, uh, in the eSafety Commission, we run uh, social media self-defence sessions. And one of the things that we do, the first things we do is we all grab our phones and say, okay, let's share. How do we take a screenshot on this, which is the photo of the actual screen? Where might we keep this? And let's create a folder in our um, in our um, photos where we can just put this stuff um, to keep. Why do we do that? Because often we find that um, online abuse happens over time. And what we tend to do, and I think this is particularly as women, we tend to just put up with it and put up with it and put up with it. And then maybe a month or two down the track, we think, gosh, this has gone on for far too long. I want to report it. 
but then I don't have the evidence of what's happened before. So our advice is take collect the evidence. You can always delete it if later on you decide, no, I'm not going to do anything about this. The, third, the next thing I think is really important is we should all be familiar with how to report. Um, eSafety is the world's first um, uh, online regulator um, and we're really excited to be able to provide um, the opportunity for Australians to report to eSafety. eSafety is responsible for taking down, um, in, in most cases we can take down the offensive material online and, um, and we work really closely with online platforms. So um, we have eSafety administers four regulatory schemes, illegal and restricted online content. So that's like um, child exploitation, uh, uh, image-based abuse, which is the non-consensual sharing of intimate images, cyber, children's cyberbullying, so that's cyberbullying for the under 18s, and then adult cyber abuse, which is our newest scheme that we've uh, that's just come in uh, in January this year. For children cyberbullying and adult cyber abuse, you need to report to the platform first. So you need to know. So if you look on your posts to report, look for the three dots or the, th or the three lines. Those are some tips to know. Well, if I tap on that, it'll go allow me to report this to the platform. If the platforms um, fail to take any of uh, action after you report it online, and often 76% of women in uh, the WITS research that we have told us that they wouldn't even bother reporting to platforms because they don't do anything about it. So we're on a bit of a mission to help platforms to uh, explain more about, well, why should we report? And pla all platforms tell us that that's how we learn more about what's going on and about what is uh, what, what was the type of material that's out there. So it is important to report to platforms. If they don't take the material down, then you can report to eSafety. And it's really simple, you go, online you go to the eSafety website you look for the little red box that says report abuse and then you're asked to fill in a form and in the form it asks you some questions so that our investigators can understand what is this abuse what is it like and what and what can we do about it and then they'll contact you the great thing about reporting to eSafety and again this is true on most platforms is that um, third-party reporting or or having someone else report for you is something that is um, uh, is is that you're able to do. That means that it protects us uh, and uh, and and acknowledges the Im impact that this has on our emotional and uh, well-being, um, and encourages us uh, to report so that we can have these uh, this material taken offline. Um, and our, the platforms can learn more about what it is that is actually going on um, online. So it's a really, really important part, knowing that that is, a, is an avenue that we have here, particularly in Australia, uh, is a really a great and important part of what we do. And, and I've got to say, you know, on behalf of the community, thank you for pioneering that. We know that the eSafety Commissioner is doing some, you know, many world first things. And, and we appreciate that in terms of trying to keep our online spaces safe and trying to keep platforms and individuals accountable. I think that's really important. Now, Anita, you, you shared there um, 
helpfully a lot of practical things that individuals and I think community if I can broaden that in terms of looking after one another as well one of the audiences I know that we talk to on this podcast people who sit within organizations who might be as as you know in the case of Amanda advising a leader on what they can and should do online or people who might be responsible for considering well what does our workforce strategy look like for social media participation and how are we equipping and enabling and protecting keeping our employees safe online For people who are listening at that institutional level, what is it that they should be doing? Because I think we're at this weird tension point now where it seems to be in vogue that that people will want to activate their employee advocates online. And you can't simply do that expecting the reward side of social media in terms of those authentic human stories without also taking responsibility for protecting and safeguarding those same employees online. What's your advice to institutions? What should they be doing? Absolutely. You've really hit upon an important point here. Um, it's It can't just be left for the individual. And especially in the space that uh, I work in, uh, particularly looking at online abuse as part of our working lives, it's really important that employers um, and HR departments have a sense of what they need to be responsible for Um, and also how they can assist and what they can do for employees. Now, New Safety's worked with Safe Work Australia um, to put together some guidelines on um, what employers should do and what what they should be considering in terms of keeping their employees safe online. And we've also worked with um, a number of different industries. We've got advice on our website and worked with media organisations to look at Um, What can journalists do to keep themselves safe online? But also what can their um, producers and newsrooms do and the media organisations in a broader context can do uh, to better protect their employees, but also to better allow for the the, um, positive use of social media. Um, As Amanda's talked about, as we've talked about, We've also worked with um, sporting codes. So you, you'll see in the AFL, you'll have uh, you, you'll notice that there's a connection there with the AFL and the AFLW, particularly um, with uh, the eSafety Commissioner, um, because there's opportunity here as well for them to lead the way in keeping us all safe online. Um, and we've, we've worked, we're working closely with universities as well um, because universities are at that junction of um, a, a, a workforce but also preparing young people to get into the workforce. So um, there is lots of work being done at that um, employer level. But eSafety also works at an industry level. Um, so as the new Online Safety Act has, uh, bought, has given us the basic online safety expectations, then this is where the eSafety Commissioner has the opportunity to um, work with industry and say, well, Here's the, the the minimum standard of what you need to achieve in terms of being safe online here in Australia, if you want to be here in Australia. And you'll have noticed um, uh, last month uh, the Safety Commissioner issued some um, uh, um, went out to industry and asked, well, what are you doing to meet these expectations? And that's what the uh, the new Online Safety Act allows us to do, to get some reports on what actually is happening. The other thing that eSafety has is that we've got um, a, um, a, um, an, a system called Safety by Design. Now, this initiative uh, allow, it works again with industry to say to tech companies, 
have a look at what your current system is doing and you, you, um, you know have a look at what how well you're looking after safety there's an assessment tool there's a number of assessment tools for different size businesses but also to look at well are, are you embedding that safety principles right in from that very beginning of designing your systems so you can look retrospectively at what your systems looks like but also um, you know those creators of, uh, of what is the next big platform that's out there and the next big thing that we're doing. Um, these things are really, I think, useful and they all work hand in hand. So when we work with employers, we offer social media self-defence, uh, which is, you know, completely free. Any um, organisation can say, come and do these sessions for us. And of course, eSafety has a whole range of resources, particularly for, um, for all ages and stages from early childhood, um, from children who are, you know, in primary school and teenagers, all the way through then to um, to our, our senior Australians. Um, so, from an educative perspective, there's a lot there that employers can also tap into um, and use um, and uh, to better inform their workforces. Plenty of work being done, and plenty of opportunities for uh, organisations to take action. Thank you for that, Anita. And, and I suppose. If I can, um, I'd I'd love to close this conversation uh, on a on a positive note, somewhat, um, or as positive as possible, I suppose. And and this is a question for both of you, really. Given what we've talked about today, and and given the challenges that we're facing, but also given you know encouraging examples and um, the strength and courage that people like yourself are showing, Amanda. What change do you want to see online? And how can you see us getting there? Amanda? I think some of the stuff that Anita talked about is some of the stuff all of us as the individuals who are interacting on social media and these you know, professional networking platforms in particular, we have to really seize control of some of these things. So that issue around um, you know, even just recording and reporting, for example, in my particular case, what I didn't do was record. So as the behaviour escalated, I couldn't look back and say, oh, wait a minute, you know, that was low level, but now this is, I'm getting to the point of it being uncomfortable. I was just blocking and deleting people. So I didn't have, I hadn't recorded that evidence. I couldn't actually, you know, look at things and, and make a sensible decision around that. I really like the point that Anita made around digital allies. So I think whilst there's a lot that the platforms can do, and certainly I think they need to step up their game in being responsive when people are reporting, I think every single one of us needs to be a digital ally. And actually when I did call out that behaviour in that post, what I found was there were just a whole range of my colleagues, both the people that I worked with directly and other stakeholder colleagues who just wrapped themselves around me and became those digital allies, provided that support, um, were really empathetic in the discussions that they had with me about, no, you're not imagining this, that behaviour is completely unacceptable. So I think digital allies, I think we should all be one and make sure if you, if you have any level of discomfort with interactions that you're having on social media, find someone you feel comfortable with and who can be a digital ally. Because I think you, you bounce something off somebody else and they say, no, that's not good. You, all of, and all of the Things that you build up in your own mind where you say, oh, I'm just imagining it, it's okay, it's low level. A digital ally, I think, is incredibly important in making sure that we all empower ourselves and empower each other to just say this behaviour is not acceptable. Anita, what, what change would you like to see? 
Yeah, absolutely. I I um I ditto all of that, uh, Amanda. Um, I working in the in a women's program. Um, I get asked all the time, you know, especially by women, why is it always us? Why is it always us who this is what happens to us? We have to change the behaviour. We've got to change the behaviour of all the other people in the world, um, and we have to be the instigators of this. So, what do I like? What would I like to see change? I would like this not to be simply viewed as just a problem for women. Um, I think it's really important. Um, and even though I, you know, I run social media self defence sessions specifically for groups of women. Um, I've been asked, and I do over and over, run sessions for groups of um, our male colleagues as well, because it's, it needs to be a whole of community solution. Um, that idea of all of us being aware of how we interact online and having that lens of re remembering to engage respectfully all the time um, is something that we should all be aware of. Those, getting those, having that group of digital allies, people that we can bounce those ideas off, as Amanda said, is really vital. And um, as I said, you know, both in our research, but also anecdotally, women tell us how important that is to have someone who can um, sense check for you to actually help you to know that you are well, not going a little bit crazy here. Um, it's up to all of us to know how to report um, and to feel comfortable and um empowered to report uh, everything that we see that is not acceptable because every time we do that um, someone else is learning how better to behave online whether it's the perpetrator whether it's someone that is watching it all play out whether it's the platforms who are learning uh, these are the things we need to be on top of and of course um, it's really, uh, you know, I, I'd really like to see uh, the tech industry and platforms con continue to keep stepping up, making online safety a priority um, and and looking not just at um, what has happened, but also anticipating what is it that might ha occur and using some of those safety by design principles, using some of the intelligence that they have to um, head some of this off. Um, before it becomes a, a huge issue. Thank you, Anita, and thank you, Amanda, too. Look, I, I admire you both immensely for what you're doing in your own ways to help others stay safe online. And and if I can just add to what you've both said now, I, you know, we have spoken a lot about, uh, brightly, about the challenges that women are facing online today. But as you've both said, this this is not a conversation for women only. And men, if I can speak to you, you have a huge role to play. If you've made it this far, firstly, thank you for listening um, and hearing more about it because like me, that was, you know, eye-opening uh, and no doubt you're as confronted as I was the first time I heard some of these examples. But but simply because this isn't our experience as men does not mean we can't be allies, digital allies in this fight. I think that's really important and use this opportunity. Talk to your, you know, your mates and your colleagues about what you've learned and support the women in your own world. And, and you know, never tolerate, never walk past even the slightest inkling of abuse. We all need and we all benefit when there's diversity and equity of voices online to be uh, the best global community we can. And, and it kind of goes back to what you were saying before, Amanda. When you were silent, people reached out to you and said, we've missed your posts. We've missed your voice online. And that's the sad reality. That's what's being lost when women leaders are quietened. And I don't think that's right. And I think we've got to do everything that we can collectively to make this space much, much safer. 
So finally, can I encourage everyone listening to seek both our guests today out online on LinkedIn. And please, as Anita said, there's a range of resources available from the Office of the E-Safety Commissioner and also Women in the Spotlight. So please do hop online. We'll include them in the show notes, but please do hop online and have a look at those and also consider the role of something like social media self-defense training for your organization. Continue these conversations in your organizations and, and please share these this episode maybe just with one other person who you know would benefit from hearing it and reach out if you'd like to learn more about what the WITS team can do to help. So Amanda and Anita, thank you so much again for your time and perspective and thank you for sharing it with your Digital Reputation podcast. Thanks, Roger. Thanks so much. Thanks again for listening. If you've learned something from today's conversation, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with others. For all show notes, head to propelgroup.com.au. Thanks again for listening.